The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Hello and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. Today's guests are Olivia Raimonde, a credit reporter for Bloomberg News in New York, and Steve Flynn, who looks at the communications sector for Bloomberg Intelligence. It's been another very busy week. Lots of excitement in global credit markets, including a ton of new issuance from junk-rated borrowers. Let's get into that in a little bit. But before we do, I just want to ask Olivia, Steve, what's up with Party City? We're clearly not buying enough giant heart-shaped helium balloons. They had to file for bankruptcy. What's going on? Are we not having enough fun in this country? What, what, what's your take, Olivia? I think that um, we are having enough fun in the country, and maybe that's why we don't need to go to Party City. I, I, I love a good party. My kids are a little bit older now, so we don't visit Party City as much as we used to, but, uh, but I've been there. So we'll have to wait for Valentine's Day to buy those big heart-shaped balloons. But (laughs) that company's in trouble and and retail sales just fell. You know, the the consumer is not doing well. But let's get back to the the issue. Olivia, we've seen a big increase in high-yield bond issuance lately. Junk rated a lot of cash after a real drought last year. Issuance was down something like 75% in 2022. Mm -hmm. What's the situation there? Why are they issuing now? It's a great question and a really interesting dynamic, James, that I think is going to play out through this entire year. When we look back at the end of last year, investors were really concerned about high-yield bonds, especially ones in the lower-rated tiers, such as like triple C credits. Now what we're seeing is that as borrowing costs are dropping, not compared to last year's levels, but dropping in size and scope, People are now rushing to add on risk when they were maybe a little bit more positioned defensively. So now they're trying to get ahead of it, which has kind of caused this big rally. But what are the advantages of issuing now? Obviously, borrowing costs have gone up. Yields have gone up. Everything's going up. Why, why do it now? I think that yields are down from their highest point of last year and that they will rise again. And I think that's what the base case of many strategists are. So therefore, if they have an opportunity to get in now, um, it's better than waiting until we hit maybe like an economic slowdown or a recession when yields could spike even higher. And what are they using all that money for? Is it uh, refinancing? Is it new projects? Is it M&A? What, what's the trend there? Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, last year, the main trend we saw was that pretty much companies were only coming to the market if they had like an imminent financing need, like they needed money to fund like an acquisition, for example. Now we're seeing more opportunistic um Financings in the market, people are coming in to refinance debt, they're coming in to fund tender offers, um, and we're seeing M&A picking up slightly. Is there one particular sector that's dominating? I know we've had some energy companies, which, you know, they haven't been very active, but, but you know, they've enjoyed high oil prices. Are we seeing a big focus on one sector or is it across the board? I think it's across the board. It's good to note the energy sector. That's a pretty strong sector in high high yield right now. A lot of those names are double B, just the cusp of investment grade. So they have had, they've been able to access the market more easily than other sectors, even in the past few months. But we have seen others, like for example, Dish Network was in looking to add um, another couple billion dollars onto um, a series that it launched in November. 
Well, I know we'll get to Dish in a bit with Steve, who focuses on that sector. But um, what is the outlook, though, for that market? You know, these bonds are junk, and they're called junk for a reason. So, you know, why is everyone buying them? Everyone's buying them right now because everyone's sort of jumping in on this rally. It's kind of a fear of missing out. Strategists do not think that this, this rally can be sustained. We have slowing economic growth. People are concerned about a recession. The Fed has not done hiking rates. So even though investors have, I mean, even though borrowers have a little bit of a reprieve right now and investors are jumping in, strategists don't think it will last. So spreads could easily widen from here or, or yields go up? I think the base case in the market is expecting spreads to widen and yields to go up from here. Because in a recession, typically, you know, where it spreads around 400 on U.S. high yield, right? But in, in a recession, you go up to 800. So that's a big move from here. Or even 1,000 if you're looking at the pandemic. So, I mean, I don't get it. We're going through an earnings season that could be tough. We're getting a Fed that's getting quite um, hawkish. We're going through, you know, there's, there's a war on in, in Ukraine still. There's all sorts of issues around why are people still piling in. I don't get it. The amount of investor optimism about the outlook for the economy this year um, has been quite phenomenal, actually. The market continues to bet um, on rate cuts, continuing to think that the Fed is going to slow um, its tightening and that inflation is going to come down quicker than um, maybe once thought. And that's allowing everyone to sort of get ahead of themselves and start to make bets on what they think is going to happen further on down the line, past the recession. But the reality is, is that we don't know what the recession is going to look like and when it's going to come. So people still need to remain defensive. Okay, so before we um, ask Steve about that and his take on, on the issuance rush, you've also looked at leveraged loans. Um, you know, there's a, there's a ton of uh, loan debt outstanding. And of course, that's all floating rate and LIBOR jumped to almost 5% recently. And that's, you know, it was, it was close to zero just a year ago. So that's a huge leap. Those borrowers are struggling. They're going to struggle to pay back that money. What's, what's the situation there? Yeah, the loan market is a little bit more precarious than the bond market, James. Um, it's not as highly rated. And the biggest issue of concern actually is borrowers who only have loans in their capital structure. So they have no high yield bonds. That means there's no subordinated debt sitting beneath the loans. So that's less investor protection should there be a bankruptcy. And if the Fed slows down the pace of hiking, does that offer some relief to them? Do, do, they, do they get bailed out effectively if the Fed stops? I think at this point, there's so much about the impact of what the Fed has already done and has not moved through the economy. And we have not fully seen those effects that are materializing now, but we just aren't aware of yet. So I think there's still a lot more room for a lot of volatility and a lot of surprises to the upside or downside in high yield bonds this year. And in, on the loans, specifically more defaults? In the loan section, we're probably going to see more defaults. That's because of those loan-only issuers not having those high yield bonds in their capital stacks. So they're smaller, they're riskier, they tend to not have access to the high yield bond market. That's why they're not there, not always, but often. And so these are the type of issuers that are even more vulnerable in a downturn because they don't have the same market capitalization as uh, S&P 500 company would. And your story really dug into the downgrades, which I think is really interesting. What, what's the trend there? What, what was happening with that? Yeah, right now we're seeing... Um, Issuers that only have loans in their capital structure, those downgrades are at the highest level since the earlier days of the pandemic, and they're showing signs of accelerating. And on the other side, the banks, they got stuck with a whole load of uh, leveraged buyout debt that they couldn't sell last year, and they're still trying to sell it down. How are they reacting to this? Are they, are they pulling back a bit? Are they getting more, more defensive in, in lending to uh, junk companies? 
Definitely the banks have to stop and think about who they want to lend to more now that they have so much excess loans stuck on their bank balance sheets. It's definitely clogged the global M&A pipeline. And I do think that they're going to have to think more carefully going forward about who they want to lend to and how much they can commit. Okay, great story. Thanks a lot. I'm going to turn now to Steve Flynn from Bloomberg Intelligence, who focuses on the communications sector. And before we dig into that sector, I just wanted to to ask you, Steve, um, about high yield bond issuance specifically. It's been such such an incredible start to the year, at least over the last, um, you know, few days or so. Um, But um, should we expect that to continue? Uh, sure. <clears throat> if yields stay at current levels or, or move lower, yeah, I definitely think you'll see uh, continued uh, robust volume for new issuance. Um, you know, I've been covering the high yield bond market for a long time. One thing that remains true is that you issue when you can, right? And the market is open, so companies are taking advantage of it and tapping the high yield bond market. And Dish was one of the big names in, um, you know, they, they doubled the size from 500 to a billion. Um, have they resolved their liquidity needs? In the short term, yes, they have. So, but longer term, I think they're going to need additional liquidity. Um, so, they ended the year or began the, uh, 2023 with about 2.4 billion in cash, we estimate, and they, you know, they priced 1.5 billion dollars on Tuesday. So that brings them up to about 3.9 billion. Which, listen, that is a lot of cash. But the company has significant calls on its liquidity. It has a 1.5 billion dollar bond due on March 1st. Uh, the company is free cash flow negative due to its massive investment uh, in its growing wireless business. And the company has the potential to purchase additional spectrum. Uh, the company also faces significant uh, bond maturities in the future. They have like $3 billion in maturities in 24, $2 billion in 2025, and then an even larger amount due in 2026. So while this was great for them near term, it, it boosts their liquidity, funds them through this year, um, they're, they're going to need additional cash in the future. Okay, thank you. So, so looking more broadly at the communications sector, which credit portfolios, sorry, pro- profiles do you think are likely to improve this year? Well, listen, we do, we do like the communications sector. Um, there's a few things to like about it. Number one, it has uh, compelling attributes, including ample liquidity, uh, little international exposure. Most of the, those businesses are domestic, and they provide you know essential services that that people need, such as fixed broadband and mobility. Uh, my colleague Rob Schiffman likes the technology sector. Uh, technology companies have strong balance sheets uh, with significant cash holdings. He believes that many of them, if you look at like Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, have very high credit ratings, hundreds of billion dollars of cash, and seemingly impenetrable business models. So uh, those are two sectors that, that we like in, in high grade. So those are sectors that could withstand a slowdown or a recession, potentially? Uh, correct. Yes, uh, I would say tech, given the, the amount of liquidity it has, and communications. Again, it provides essential services, right? So, uh, no, typically in a recession, people are very resistant to uh, cut back on uh, cable, on their mobile phone, on data. Those are things they need. So those sectors are relatively defensive. Yeah, we all have to watch Netflix through these tough times. Exactly. <laughs> So um, looking at the, the actual price of these bonds, I mean, they got really beaten up last year. And that's why a lot of people seem to pile in again. Um, but um, do you think that they are fairly valued based, based on your assessment of fundamentals right now? Yeah, sure. I think they're fairly valued. I think some probably are going a little bit too wide. Um, you know, we have a few that are really trying to delever. So if you look at names like AT&T, Verizon, Warner Brothers, Discovery, they're each striving to improve their leverage ratios over the next couple of years. Uh, if we think about AT&T, Verizon, those are two of the largest names in the corporate bond market, and they should be able to chip away at their debt loads with free cash flow and excess of dividend payments. 
if you look at a name like Warner Brothers Discovery, um, that company was created in April 2022 with the merger of Discovery and WarnerMedia, which was separated from AT&T. Um, you know, that was highly leveraged. Uh, they borrowed a lot to fund a payment to AT&T, but they, you know, they expect significant free cash flow generation and EBITDA growth, uh, which will allow them to reduce uh, their net leverage ratio. Uh, those bonds are rated low triple B. They trade uh, very wide. Um, there is a fear that, listen, they have exposure to advertising. It's a recession. Advertising pulls back in a recession. But they do have a lot of levers to pull, I think, to make, to improve their credit ratio, uh, particularly with realizing massive cost synergies from the combination of those two companies. Okay. And, and what types of communications borrowed do you think is most at risk and why? Well, I think the one, names that are most um, our investors are most concerned about are those with um, heavy exposure to advertising, um, given the potential for re recession and potential for advertisers to slow their spend, right? And so that, that is the media company. So that is companies like Paramount, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. You know, there's definitely some concern about them. There's also concern about companies that have relatively high leverage, like within investment grade. So a name like Charter. Um, Charter has high leverage. Um, they have a very, they produce a lot of free cash flow. They have a robust business model, but they do have a high lever leverage. So some of those names will trade wide in investment grade. If you move over to high yield, obviously your credit quality goes down, right? So there's a lot of names that trade at very low prices. You know, Dish we talked about. They they need liquidity. Uh, you have a name like um, AMC Entertainment, uh, movie theaters, which which trades uh, wide. Um, you have some of the wireline companies like a Frontier, Lumen Consolidated. They all trade pretty wide. You mentioned AMC. That's everyone's favorite uh, meme stock and um, has been through a real up and down ride. Um, I'd be interested in your take on, on what the outlook is for that that company. I mean, do they survive in this environment? Sure. Well, AMC's revenue and EBITDA may improve over the next couple of years as theater attendance continues to rebound. And while we estimate the company has about $600 million of cash pro forma to start the year, which is you know, probably enough to absorb uh, losses, invest in the business, and dress debt maturities over the next few years, like through 2025. But the, the main challenge for AMC is they have a massive, massive maturity wall in 2026. That may just be too high of a hurdle for, for them to overcome. And as a result, you can see that many of their secured, second lien, and unsecured bonds are currently trading at distressed prices. You think that they will last those through them through the next few years? They, I mean, based on expectations for you know cash flow and given what maturities they have to deal with, um, I think they can last a couple of years. Uh, the company has been relatively proactive too. They've been um, issuing their APE um, shares. Uh, they also have an agreement to swap some debt for some APE shares. And so they're trying to do what they can. Um, and, and hopefully the um, box office will continue to rebound. Like, I don't think we're anywhere near the $11 billion uh, domestic box office that we used to do on a yearly basis pre-pandemic. Um, but we're, we're, we're marching towards improvements. I think forecasts this year are for over $8 billion. And so you know that will help. If, if it goes even higher, obviously, that'll help more. Didn't they also diversify into mining, though? It seems like a bit of a confused strategy from the top. Yeah, that was a small investment they made. That was a, probably more noise than anything. So as far as a, you know, your credit analysis, I really don't factor that in. Okay. And on the flip side, are there any good ones that are junk that should be high grade, you think? I, the most interesting name, or, or what we'd call a rising star, a company that rises out of uh, high yield into investment grade. And, and the driver there is that you need two of the three 
uh, main credit rating agencies to, to rate you uh, high grade to be high grade. And if we look at a company like Netflix, um, Netflix uh, is high grade by S&P. They don't have a Fitch rating and Moody's is BA1 with a positive outlook. And given uh, the potential, for, given that Netflix has reached sustained positive free cash flow, I think there's a good chance that they could be a rising star in 2023 and could get upgraded. They need to make more shows, though. They seem to kind of have their shows and then they wait too long, for well, me anyway. <laughs> they always cancel after the second season. Maybe those are shows that only you guys watch. <laughs> um, Netflix has a massive um, co content budget. So their cash outlays for content, I've, I think, is around $17 billion uh, for 2022. Uh, we should get an update shortly about their, their budget for 2023. I expect it to be in that similar range. So they do spend a lot of money. So just uh, dialing back, I mean, do you think that there, there is more consolidation to come in the sector overall? Do you think there are, there's more M&A to come? Yes, particularly when you brought up streaming, right? So if you go back a couple of years, um, most investors were okay with, with the streaming companies producing large deficits, which, which Netflix did for many years uh, until the pandemic. Um, as long as they continue to grow subscribers, people are okay with the deficits. But now, a lot of investors are looking for positive free cash flow, or like, you know, when are these um, streaming businesses going to be profitable, right? And, and Netflix, after many years of losses, has reached sustained positive free cash flow, which is a big thing that rating agencies were looking for and a lot of their lenders were looking for. But now, if we look across the board, you know, if you want to compete with somebody the size of Netflix or somebody the size of Disney, which has, you know, Disney, ESPN, Hulu, you need to be bigger, right? So if we look at, there's lots of streaming providers out there, lots of them that are losing money, and there could be some sort of combination when you think about, you know, you got, well, you have Warner Brothers and HBO Max, um, or HBO Max and Warner Brothers Discovery, um, the Discovery platforms, uh, looking to get to, to merge this year as far as the platforms are concerned. Um, you have, you know, you've got Paramount, you've got, obviously, Amazon, you've got... You know, tons of other um, streaming providers. You, got, um, you know, Comcast has their Peacock service. So there's a lot out there. I think you may see some consolidations to gain some scale on the streaming side. I have about eight subscriptions to these things, and my kids <laughs> each have one, and they all watch one show each, and it costs me the same as uh, old school cable. So why not wrap them all into one? Yeah, exactly. So I think. You know, you see, I, I think there is a chance you can get consolidation to try and bulk up some of these platforms. Okay. Great. So um, appreciate it, Steve Flynn, Bloomberg Intelligence. And just to wrap this up for this week, what is the outlook from both of you? Um, you know, I'll start with Olivia Raymonde from Bloomberg News. You're looking at these markets all day long. Um, the Fed's hiking. There's a war on in Ukraine still. Um, there's inflation. There's, you know, geopolitical issues. There's all sorts of um, trouble on the horizon. But are we bullish or bearish here. Are we getting ahead of ourselves and, and being too excited about these markets? I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, James. There's just way too many uncertainties, many of them that you just mentioned that are still not fully baked into um, market prices. And I do think spreads are going to move wider and I do think yields will go higher um, in the near term. How about you, Steve Flynn? Yeah, I'm probably a little bit more constructive. I think a lot of companies um, realize that they, you know, have to deal with their debt. I think, you know, the uh, lack of issuance last year really uh, was a concern for companies that they may have to look for other ways to pay down their obligations and maybe focused on improving their leverage ratios and credit profiles. So uh, I think management teams are going to be focused on their debt loads, which is, I think, positive. Okay. 
Great. Thank you very much again to Steve Flynn from Bloomberg Intelligence, Olivia Ramonde from Bloomberg News. I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next week. Cheers. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.